0: Pastor Chris's podcast. So when I was a kid, I was fascinated with flying. I don't know, I'm talking about when I was seven or eight. I mean, it was a it was a fascination that followed me throughout my childhood, but it started very early. I used to love to see the birds up in the air flying, and and you know, just I was intrigued by how that could happen, how it worked. And I thought that I could understand it. You can look at a bird and maybe you can sort of get a feel or some sort of understanding about how it works. And so in my little kid's mind, and I didn't really think about this at the time, but, you know, life was kind of rough in our household when I was a young kid. And I think part of the fascination was the idea that, you know, a bird could just spread its wings and fly and could go anywhere it wanted, anytime it wanted. There was that independence that I certainly did not have as a young child, you know, living under the the restrictions of being in in the house. But I also thought I I could do this. I I could make uh, wings that would help me to actually fly. And so i thought about, looked at how birds were built, and I built these big plastic wings that I thought were going to make me fly. And in my house was a kind of a a long stretch. You could actually walk all the way from the back of the house to the front door. So I opened up the front door and there's a front porch and we didn't have a rail on the front. So I got my plastic wings and I ran all the way from the back of the house out the front door and jumped off of the front porch, which is about two feet up. And you imagine what happened, right? I fell flat on my face because people can't fly just because we build wings. uh, There's a lot of other obstacles in the way of our ability to fly. (laughs) Even, you know, part of it is the weight, you know, we're too heavy. We're not built for that like birds were, but People have wanted to fly for thousands of years. We've looked at birds and wondered how to do it. And people have tried to come up with different ways to be able to do it. A little over 100 years, people really started to think we were smart enough. We knew science. We were able to build all kinds of uh, really cool new technology. They were coming out with automobiles where you could replace the horse and drive around in a mechanized vehicle. And there were all kinds of neat gadgets like telephones and record players that were coming along doing things we never thought we'd be able to do before. So people began to think, we can overcome this obstacle to human flight. And they looked at birds like I did. And they came up with contraptions like I did as a kid. Uh, Like, for instance, you've seen the pictures, right, of the old footage, like this little contraption they had that had an umbrella that would go up and down, and that was supposed to somehow lift the vehicle off the ground. And then this, uh, it just, it makes me laugh because this grown man has wings that he has created, much like the wings that I created, but I was only seven or eight years old. (laughs) But he thought he was going to fly. People did. And for years they tried And they failed, even though they had new technology, it wasn't ready yet. The engines that they had were not strong enough and they were too heavy. The materials were too weak to sustain the strength that was needed for flight. Many people were injured or even died trying to fly. And it took many years and great sacrifice. It took people working together talking about what works and what doesn't work. And eventually, through science and learning the real elements of what it takes to fly, people put all that together and they began to fly. And to this day, now we have hundreds of thousands of people who fly all over the world every day. We've overcome the obstacles that were initially there. It took time and great sacrifice, but it happened. Well, today I want to talk to you about some different obstacles that we face, some spiritual obstacles that we have, obstacles that keep us from being all that God wants us to be and also how God's grace helps us to overcome those obstacles. So I want to read to you from Romans chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, just as God designed butterflies and birds to fly, God designed people to live together in harmony We can do so much more together than we can alone. But unfortunately, society fails to live up to its potential. We miss the mark. Though created for love, society is full of hate, hostility, and fear. Society misses the mark because we as individuals miss the mark. Though we were created in the image of God, Romans 3.23 says, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So, like a shattered mirror, we reflect God only as a broken and distorted image. Even Christian leaders in the Bible often failed to live up to God's perfect standard. You think of the disciples. They walked with Jesus in the flesh. They lived with him. They heard his teachings. They helped him in ministry for three years. And yet at the end of it all, they fell short. Uh, They all, when he was arrested, they all ran away and abandoned him and ran away in fear and hid. Even Peter, who had boldly proclaimed that I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even if I have to die for you. I'll, I will die for you. And yet what did he do when Jesus was arrested and they came to Peter and said, you knew him. Didn't weren't you one of those disciples that were with him? He said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know the man. He denied knowing Jesus. Paul in the book of Romans in the seventh chapter talks about how he struggled with sin. He says, I do bad things that I don't even want to do, but I do them. It's like I'm trapped in it. And he was talking about how his sinful nature haunts him. And it haunts all of us, right? We fall short. In subtle ways, we all ignore or deny the most important relationship in our life, the relationship that is the root of all other relationships, our relationship with God. And the Greek word for sin is hamartia. And it's an archery term in the ancient world that meant to miss the target. To miss the target. Sin is whatever causes us to miss the target God has given for our lives. It is an obstacle that separates us from the love of God and our neighbor. Sin sets up obstacles between us and God that limit our ability to love, that hinder our growth in the likeness and love of Jesus Christ. I want to name three obstacles of grace that keep us from being more like Christ, who reflected God's love perfectly. Three ways that we miss the mark. One obstacle is not believing in God. It's just simply that. We don't believe in God. And, And you need to understand that To believe in God is more than just believing that God exists. You know, sometimes we do that We say, well, I believe in God, but we're thinking of it in an intellectual, just a purely intellectual way. And remember, did you know that in the book of James in the New Testament, it tells us that the Bible believes in God. I mean, not Bible, that the devil believes in God. The devil believes in God, but it doesn't really do him any good, does it? I mean, it says when the devil and his demons believe in God, they tremble in fear. So believing in God has to be something more than just uh, knowing that he exists and agreeing with that. So what we are saying is to believe in God is to live by God. It is to trust what God says. It is to trust who he is. You can, you know, you think about it in, uh, practical, physical terms. You can say, yeah, I believe flying is safe, right? A lot of people will say that, but will you get in the plane? Will you go for a ride? When I was 13, I was in a group called the civil air patrol. Uh, it's kind of like ROTC, but it's for the air force. And this, that was really cool for me. Cause I finally got to fly. We went up in a little Cessna airplane and, uh, It's kind of like a Volkswagen with wings. So it is a little bit, if you're scared of flying, I wasn't scared of flying, but if you are, it'd be kind of intimidating to think these little tiny aircraft walls are separating me from falling to my death, right? But it was really cool for me. And and the pilot actually said, you know, because I was sitting in the co-pilot seat and there was a steering wheel in front of me and the pilot had the steering wheel. He said, you want to fly? And I was like, yes, sir, I do. And he, he said, "We'll take the steering wheel. And he let me fly. Of course, he was watching over to make sure I didn't do anything stupid to um, kill us. But, <laughs> but that was really cool. But believing that it is safe to fly really is only true if you're willing to personally get in the plane and fly. Now that's belief. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we say we believe in God. And sometimes we don't really believe that God loves us. We say, yeah, it tells us God loves us. And we sing, Jesus loves me. This I know, right? We sing the song. But do we really believe it? Because that's a common form of unbelief. We don't like who we are. We're ashamed, maybe, of some of the things we've done. And we try to hide from God. We're like Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, in the third chapter of Genesis, they ate the forbidden fruit. And then what did they do? God's walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve are hiding, hiding from God like you can hide from God, right? But they're trying because they're ashamed and they're afraid. And sometimes we're like that. We don't like what we've done. And we don't really believe God can love us because of that. We don't really believe, even though he says he forgives us through Christ, we keep condemning ourselves. We let our faults, our failures, our bad feelings tell us who we are instead of listening to God. Whenever your feelings condemn you, remember God's love is greater than your feelings. Another obstacle is idols, Believing in false gods its something that people have struggled with, especially in the Old Testament. We read about how God was constantly telling the Israelites to come back, to repent of their idolatry and come back. Stop worshiping statues that can't do anything for you. Worship the true living God. Um, Is that a problem for us today? I don't know many people in Dalton, Georgia that worship idols, that worship statues, but we still have a lot of idols. It's a big problem. In our world, instead of it being statues, it's things like money and drugs, uh, pleasure. Um, There's all kinds of things that can be idols, all kinds of bad things. But it's not just the bad things that can be idols in our lives. The trickiest, the most dangerous kinds of idols, I think, are the ones that are actually good things. Because you see, the things that we make into idols are not necessarily bad things. They can be very good things. But they become bad for us because we expect them to deliver something that only God can give. Think about that. So it could be that we could turn our family into an idol. It could be that we could turn our parents into idols. And this is a great example because you think about how kids are, right? When they're little... You know, it's, in general, kids look up to their moms and their dads and they idolize them. They can't, you know, dad is the biggest, strongest person. He can beat, my dad can beat up your daddy, right? We think our, our parents are almost perfect. And part of what makes being a parent of a teenager so painful is because they grow out of that. <laughs> they no longer think their parents are perfect. They th- They think they're idiots. (laughs) So they go from being here on a pedestal to being, you know, their idol has been smashed. And they're so disappointed. And they're having to deal with that. And then finally, hopefully, they get to a place in their life, maybe in their 20s, where they realize that their parents are neither perfect or idiots. They're somewhere in the middle. Right? They finally find balance. And usually at that point, the relationship grows into a more healthy and uh, peaceful thing. So we can turn our parents into idols. Parents can turn their kids into idols. You know, they say, this is my world. This child is, this. these kids are my world. Well, that sounds good. But really, is it? Is your child? kid your world? Is that really a proper relationship? Or you could turn your spouse, your friends, your job into an idol. Uh, You could turn your dreams into an idol. And a lot of of young people do that. You know, they have this image of where they want to be and who they want to be and what they want to do. And that ambition drives them, which is a good thing, but it can be that your dream future becomes so, so much of an idol that it can never deliver what you're expecting it to deliver. And what happens is you achieve your dreams and they disappoint you. How could they not? Because... Anything that you expect to fulfill you in a way that only God can is going to let you down. Because there's only one who can fulfill you that way, and it's God. And so the key to having good, healthy boundaries and good, healthy relationships is let God be God and everyone else be who they are and not try to be, try to make them into God. Idols always let us down. They are an obstacle. But the true God is a God of grace and of hope who is forgiving our faults, who redeems our mistakes, who offers us a chance to start again, and he never lets us down. One more obstacle is self-centeredness. When we're self-centered... It's like we're trying to be God. We trust ourselves more than we trust God. We focus our life on our selfish desires, making God in our own image. We only see ourselves, our needs, our feelings. We don't see other people and their needs and their feelings. We may even feel jealous when others receive more affirmation or more reward than we are receiving. Everyone is born self-centered, but we're not meant to stay that way. We have to grow up. Other people have feelings. Other people have a worth that's just as important as ours. We are not the center of the universe. Self-centeredness is when grown-up people act like big babies. There's a baby in all of us that never grows up, Who tries to make the world revolve around us. And the big baby comes out in us occasionally in different ways. It could be through self-pity. Where we're always saying, woe is me. And we never take responsibility. If something goes wrong, it's because of some external thing. Somebody who did something to us. Some situation we had in our life. It wasn't our fault. If, we, if all of the situations had been right, we would have been perfect, but everything else conspired against us. And that is self-pity. Self-importance. When we think we're better than, or more important than, or more valuable than everyone else. And self-righteousness. When we think we're already perfect, like there's no need for God's grace. Like that Pharisee that Jesus saw who was in the temple and he lifted his eyes up to heaven and he prayed to God and says, Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that sinner over there because I do this and I do that. And I follow all your rules, but the sinner couldn't even look up to heaven. He bowed his head and tears flowed from his eyes and he beat his chest and he said, Lord, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus said, It was the sinner who was justified, not the guy who already thought he was perfect. Following Jesus involves exchanging a self-centered life for a Christ-centered life. We see people with new eyes. We identify with other people's feelings. We care about them just like we care about ourselves. Our goal all of a sudden becomes not to be right all the time, but to be in a right relationship with God and with other people. Not believing in God, idolatry and self-centeredness get in the way of our relationship with God. The first letter of each obstacle spells N-I-S. If you flip that upside down, you get sin. Sin is putting life together in a way that doesn't work, that stops real growth. It is a major obstacle to God's grace. It misses the mark of what God wants for your life. But there's hope. There is grace. God gives us grace. And the grace in God is greater than the sin in us. God enables our daily dying with Christ to unbelief, and idolatry, and self-centeredness. And he, he, he enables our daily rising with Christ to faith, hope, and love, and a life of grace. So I want to give you five steps that can help remove the obstacles to growth in Christ. Step number one is go to God. Let go of pride that keeps you from turning to God. Let go of those speeches that we have with ourselves where we say, I'm not worthy. God would not want to talk to me because I've done such and such or I've thought such and such. Um, We have to just let go of that and ask God for help. You see, there is nothing you have ever done, nothing you will ever do that would stop God from loving you. And wanting you to come to him and talk to him and ask him for help. So all that means is we just have to be honest with God about what obstacle we're facing. That thing that's getting in the way of our relationship with him. We have to admit the ways that sin and selfishness take form in our life. And trust that God is full of grace to accept, forgive, and heal. Step two is to remember who you really are. Let go of everybody else's ideas of who you ought to be. Remember that you are not who others say you are. You are more than your mistakes. You're more than your successes, too. I was talking to a guy uh, this week, and he was—he was—he uh, was—he's in his seventies now, but. He used to play for South Carolina, the Gamecocks, and he was really good. He was the quarterback, and he was really good. Everybody looked up to him, and he was loving life. He was young. He was athletic. He was handsome. Everybody liked him. He was succeeding in everything he was doing, but he didn't make it to the NFL, and, um, and then his, his football career was done. And He said he just didn't even know who he was anymore. His whole identity was wrapped up in that successful thing. And when it was gone, he felt like nothing. He said he was about to commit suicide until he, uh, God got a hold of him and turned him around. He had to realize that, that his core identity was not football player. Something deeper, something more meaningful, and we have to all think about that because you know maybe we're not a football player, but we have all these different labels we put on ourselves. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, um, I'm a doctor, or I'm a senator, or I'm a pastor. But all of these things can be taken away. You know, there's they they they're not permanent. They're not eternal. And, and and our roles and our identities in life change over the course of time. And we have to remember the thing that we really are when everything else is stripped away is we're a child of God. That is always true. And so we have to remember that. Remember that we belong to him. Remember that there's absolutely nothing you can Do no mistake you can make and no success that you can achieve that changes your identity in God as his child. And so we have to let what God already thinks about us guide us. Step three in removing obstacles is to accept your acceptance. Let go of feeling like you are not good enough that you must prove yourself to somebody or that you have to find a way to be important. You are already important to God. Accept God's unconditional acceptance of you, not as you think you ought to be, but as you really are right now. Accept God's word to you. Like he said to Jesus, do you remember what what God said to Jesus when Jesus was baptized? Remember he was at the Jordan River and his cousin John baptized him and the spirit of God like a dove descended upon him. And then a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. When you put your faith in Christ, guess who's inside you? Jesus. Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And he says, you are my beloved son or daughter. And I'm well pleased with you. He loves you like his own son. So accept your acceptance. And step four, connect with Christian community. We're doing that in a sense this morning, right? Here we are at church. Uh, but sometimes connecting with a Christian community also means letting go of some friendships that reinforce the wrong things in us, all right? We are so influenced by the people that we allow to be around us, the peop- those connections that we have. And sometimes the people that we are connected with don't reinforce good things in us. Some people reinforce good things wrong things in us. And we have to be mindful of that and we have to be sure that we are seeking out friends to share our faith with that help us to stay connected and centered in God. Part of that is being connected with Christ by connecting in the church and we're doing that this morning. But there's only so far we can go sitting in this sanctuary. We can't really have deep meaningful conversations in this setting. So there's other ways you have to connect with a smaller group, with a Bible study or a Sunday school class, some way where you can actually sit down and share your life in a deep way with other Christians. And it could also be um, that you meet with those Christian friends for lunch or you get together for dinner or you go over to their house, you share your life with them so that they have a chance to help you grow closer to Christ. And you have a chance to help them grow in that way as well. So we have to find that community of support and acceptance and encouragement to grow in Christ. And step five is embrace the life God is giving you. You have to let go of images of yourself that are less than God's plan for you. You have to embrace your life As you are, as God made you with your strengths and your weaknesses. Embrace God's beautiful goal for your life in Christ. And you will fall and you will fail sometimes. But when you fail, God, when you fail yourself, when you fail other people, you just have to get back up with God's help. Go to him and ask for help and start that cycle again. Keep going. Progress always involves falling down and getting back up. Or as we put it in spiritual terms, dying with Christ and rising with Christ to new life in God. And we do this again and again and again. So what do you need to do to move forward? What's your next step? The first letter in each step spells grace. Go to God. Remember who you are. Accept your acceptance. Connect with the Christian community and embrace the life God is giving you. Grace overcomes sin and removes the walls of obstacles that are between us and God. And sin and grace may be some things that we don't like to talk about a lot, but they're two realities with which we have to come to grips. Sin breaks life apart. Grace gives us life again. Grace reunites us with God and with one another. With Christ, we can overcome the obstacles of sin. And I want you to understand this. There is always more grace in God Then there is sin in you. And so, nothing can really separate us from the love of God that we find in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Maybe today you need to pray and you need to talk with God about a sin obstacle that's in your life. Maybe you need to think about how His grace can help you move forward. And start again. Well, let's pause for a moment to reflect and to pray.